I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, listeners. Just a point of order before we begin this week. We have a new sponsor. I know, I'll explain all in the middle of the show, but it delights me to say that this episode of the Media Podcast is brought to you with the help of Media Masters, and you'll find out more about them later. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast, I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show we discuss the London 2012 legacy, with fewer journalists attending this year's Olympics than in London last time round. What does that say about the confidence of the industry? Plus, there's the latest radio ratings, featuring our first idea of how the 16 new digital stations have fared. We mourn the loss of column inches at Media Guardian. And in the Media Quiz, we're breaking barriers with a paywall special. That's all to come on today's media podcast. And joining me this Friday at our fine temporary surroundings of BBC Three Counties Radio in Dunstable, who have let us moonlight in their studio, is legendary radio producer, the presenter of the Radio Today programme podcast, and the man the Daily Star once dubbed Dan Dan the Hatchet Man. It is Trevor Dan. Thank you for that, Ollie. Last time we uh, ripped something off Wikipedia to introduce you, Trevor, uh, you shot us down immediately. Uh, that was when I said you were the man who banned status quo. Correct. Uh, but we, we did all right this time. You, you were the hatchet man, I was you? I was that person, yeah. I did, Wikipedia did once say that I came from a prominent Manchester Jewish family, and I'm neither Jewish nor from Manchester. So, I, you know, you can never trust it, can you? I, I'd like, I, I think I feel qualified to make you an honorary Jew, Trevor, if <laughs> that's OK. <laughs> that's very good. <laughs> Uh, you were recently seen with Jane Garvey and a Fiat Panda. Indeed Why? so. Um, I've been making a programme for Radio 4 with Jane. It's called Jane Garvey's Bottom Gear. Nice. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's about women and cars. And it's very funny. I, I hope um, Radio 4 listeners find it so. And I understand you actually borrowed producer Matt's technique of recording in a car when you can't afford a studio. I think that's a, a trick I learned. When I first started in radio, actually, God, the middle 1970s, my then mentor said uh, cars are great places to record in. Sounds great. And in fact, here's an interesting thing. When you deliberately go out, as I did with Jane, to record in a car, you get the recording home. And unless, you know, you have a really beat up old car, it does actually sound like you're in a studio with a sort of distant vacuum cleaner. So you have to uh, dub on some car noises. I don't know why we bothered coming to this studio. Although I suppose if we were sitting in a rented car in a car park in Dunstable, that would be especially depressing. Uh, Alongside Trevor this week, not the news editor of Broadcast Magazine. That's dead to him now. It is the media editor of Business Insider UK, Mr Jake Cantor. 
thank you. Hey, how's <laughs> life at Business Insider? Very good. Uh, I've been there just over a month now. Um, and uh, we are you know, ramping up the media coverage. Do you, uh, do, you do the titles? Because the titles are, are quite compelling, aren't they? There's that holistic style thing going on. Yeah, <laughs> All you need to know about We're, whatever. We are David encouraged Abrams to write our own headlines, definitely. Yeah. Um, How many of yours get through? <laughs> it's it's steadily going up, I hope. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm doing uh, very badly indeed. <laughs> uh, obviously, pretty busy time for any news-based uh, office. We had um, BuzzFeed's James Ball with us last episode, and he said at uh, BuzzFeed they were given pets to cheer them up after the Brexit season. Uh, what was keeping you jolly at <laughs> well, Business Well, there, there were no little animals running around the Business Insider office, I'm sad to say. Yeah. Although we do have Sky News on, and Kay Burley had a fantastic little feature on Sky News this week saying, why, why have dog, dogs in the North stopped wagging their tails? That is a great one. How did I miss that? <laughs> Thank you for bringing that to my attention. Uh, right, uh, the Olympics are underway on the BBC, or at least they will be by the time you listen to this. The Paralympics are to come, of course, on Channel 4. Uh, so let's talk about that, what you've both made of the the build-up to the Games and, and what the coverage is going to be. Because, Jake, effectively, BBC One becomes the Olympics channel, doesn't it, for the next three weeks? It does. Um, it will be the focal point for the BBC's coverage. And that's how it should be. Uh, BBC One is the place where they bring together the biggest moments. And that's what viewers want to see. Uh, but they're doing a lot of coverage elsewhere. They've got about 3,000 hours worth of uh, coverage in total, which will be across BBC One. Uh, they're doing some stuff on BBC Two and BBC Four. Uh, but online... be missing BBC Three at this point, aren't they? <laughs> BBC Three, what's that? Sorry, I'm yeah. not sure. I mean, um... EastEnders. <laughs> I, I guess that's it's one of the few programs left on BBC One, and part of the reason for that is you just can't put it on BBC Two. It feels wrong. It definitely can't be on BBC Four. Well, it's on. Could have been on BBC Three, couldn't it's it? It's on. It's on UK TV's Watch these days. That's where they play the repeats. Is it? That is. Okay, yeah. that's weird, isn't it? That yeah, is weird. But they do have a commercial relationship through BBC Worldwide, so yeah. it's not entirely alien. Uh, but uh, in, in terms of the Olympics, yeah, they're doing 24 live streams online, so you'll be able to catch every single moment wherever you are, as long as you've got an internet connection. Okay, far less resources going into it, Trevor, than the Americans put in just through NBC. Do we match them, do you think, quality-wise? Well, it's always great when it's on the BBC, isn't it? The BBC are really good at this kind of stuff, and it's a relief that ITV aren't doing it, so you won't have that ridiculous competitive thing that you had during the World Cup when they're trying to outbland each other. Um, I wish they wouldn't spend quite so much money on stuff we don't need, like the fancy graphics, you know, the trails that, that occupy hours and hours of BBC One, advertising something we all know perfectly well is on. Uh, it's called the Olympic Games, you know, you don't have to oversell it. Um, Ditto Five Live, you know, why are Five Live constantly going on about being your Olympic station? We know that. Shut up. You know, just get on with it. Um, but in some ways, Ollie, it's just like every other Olympic Games. It's full of problems before you start. You know, the stadiums won't be built and the poor people are in, in revolt and all the athletes are on drugs. And it's all terrible until the day it starts. And then, oh, it's really exciting. And look, some clay pigeons are being shot. That's, that's because all the journalists get distracted by the sport. <laughs> exactly. And they forget the real issues. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably true, though, isn't it? And, and you know, because it happened in London last time round, and we all, I guess, dabbled in it a bit, that, that that's a genuinely kind of infectious excitement that takes over the city. You know, it's, 
it's sort of hard to be resistant to that if you're actually out there covering it. But what about the people who are covering it completely remotely? More people relying on Reuters than last time around. Daily Express aren't sending anyone, are mm. they? Uh, the, whole, the whole Express group, they're, they're just going to re- be reporting from their sofas. And is, is that OK? Because- I think, well, I, I, the thing I wanted to say, actually, Ollie, was you just said something about how 2012 captured the public imagination. I put it to you that it captured the imagination of people who lived in and around London. But I think it was the London Games, actually. It wasn't the British Games. I think if you from the north or from Scotland or elsewhere, I don't think it did actually capture quite that level of enthusiasm that you felt if you were in the te- you know, actually in the capital. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if the BBC's audience figures from London 2012 bear that out. I think, I mean, 90% of the population engaged with some of the BBC's coverage at some point during the 2012 Games. I mean, I've been going through some of the figures for the London 2012 Games mm. and astonishing audiences, the likes of which I doubt we'll ever see again. You know, the opening ceremony t- peaked with something like 28 million viewers. That is, uh, you know, in a, in a day and age where uh, TV is supposedly suffering in an online world, that is unbelievable it is what's different this time round they can't be expecting to match those kinds of figures they won't they won't is is this is the simple answer but uh, that's a lot to do with the time difference rio's four hours behind so some of the big events like the 100 meters won't be on until two maybe three in the morning you know i'm sure they'll see a lot of engagement online and one of the neat little tricks they're doing with bbc2 is effectively just replaying the night's action mm-hmm. uh, from about nine in the morning so if you went to bed and uh, turn your phone off and then woke up and decided right i'm going to watch the olympics as live you can do on bbc2 okay right <laughs> let's move from telly mostly obviously the olympics is something of a multi-platform event Uh, and focus on radio, uh, because as the TV producers and the press barons this week switched their phones onto Do Not Disturb and reclined in a deck chair somewhere in uh, the Dordogne or whatever, uh, radio executives were waiting on that one last email. It is the second batch of radio listening figures for 2016. Trevor Dan, in no more than 15 words, tell us how the radars work. People fill in books and they say, I remember listening to this programme for this quarter of an hour on this station. The best way to read Rajar, though, always is as a trend. So don't think that these figures are right and those figures are wrong. Basically, if your trend is up, that's good news, and if your trend is down, that's bad news. And the story this time round is, as you said in your introduction, we've got the figures for the new digital stations, which is all very positive. Well, let's, okay, so let's talk about those. So we've got Virgin Radio, Talk Radio, Talk Sport 2 and Share Radio, probably the most prominent news stations. How, how have they fared? Uh, those have all fared reasonably well off the back of a clear growth in interest in speech, not perhaps just news, although news will have played a big part uh, coming up towards the referendum. But all the speech stations have done very well. Five Lives put some on, uh, Radio 4, particularly the Today programmes, put some on. Talk Sport has done well. There's clearly an appetite, and the big story of all, probably, is LBC claiming to be, you know, number one in London. Well, everybody does. But their figures have continued to go up, and they're looking... Very robust since they lost some of their lesser broadcasters. LB who? Never heard of them. Am I allowed to say that? Uh, (laughs) um, But for Virgin, um, which wouldn't tie in with the trend you're mentioning of the obvious interest in speech because of things like the European Championships and Brexit, 
Is it the case that that many people are listening to Virgin Radio, do you think? Or is it that they still have that legacy name and brand and people remember it from 10 years ago? I think there's almost certainly some crossover there, isn't there? That some people who are actually listening to Absolute think they're listening to Virgin. Just as there are people who are listening to LBC who think they listen to Radio London. Mm. You know, those kind of confusions, I think, will always happen with with Rajar. I suspect that... Um, the way Rajar works, though, means it, the, these are handfuls of people who are listening, and you know we can't read too much into it. On the other hand, we've been told, haven't we, for decades that radio is on the way down, and here is radio growing again. You know what these new stations and their arrival on on the dial, as we used to call it, has meant is that there is more listening, and if only Rajar could sample podcast and online as well i think you'd find that possibly more people are listening to something whether it's radio or audio whatever you want to call it than ever have done i think think i've said this before on on the podcast but it's just incredibly archaic isn't it the rage are compared to telly telly's not in in a league of its own i mean it's still no but you get uh, it's still a a small sample of people that they're drawing that data from and it doesn't include online figures in the way it probably should but uh, people writing in a diary. I mean, it just seems like a joke, no? <laughs> am, am I being too disparaging? Uh, I mean, it was interesting to see this week there was a few grumbles from Radio 1 on Twitter I saw. Um, you know, people uh, from the station responding to some of the news that the the station's under a bit of pressure in terms of its audience figures, and they're saying, well, no, uh, look at the amount that we do online, look at our engagement across social media and, and platforms like YouTube. Our audience is here, but it's just not in the traditional place. Yeah, let's talk about that, Trevor, because you used to be part of the team running Radio 1. Is that bollocks when they say that? No, it isn't bollocks. I think it's true, and I wish that more... It's not the same as a radio listener, though, is it? It doesn't matter. They might get a YouTube viewer. It's not the same as a radio listener. Well, I don't think that's true anymore. I don't think we can define the success of a radio brand by how many people consume it through a radio set. I think that's very ancient thinking. And we've got to understand that people are listening to what we call radio programmes in a multiplicity of ways through a multiplicity of different devices. OK, but if people are watching the Rihanna Live Lounge on YouTube, that's because they've Googled Rihanna. It's got naffle to do with Radio 1. Not necessarily. They, they, they might have listened to a, a Rihanna session because they were told by Rihanna's fan club if such a thing had existed 25 years ago. I don't think that's remotely relevant. I think what... What you are saying is, is Radio 1, which is the BBC's vehicle through which it reaches young people, performing well? And in terms of its delivery through radio sets, not so well. But in terms of its delivery through all sorts of other uh, media, I think really well. And I still think Radio 1 is completely different from Capital and the other competitors from commercial radio. When people say, oh, they're all the same thing, I know that they're not listening to it. And actually, Grimmy at breakfast, in the context of the whole station's losing listeners, has actually managed to keep enough of his listeners that it's not embarrassing. The thing that does astonish me is why they just don't put Greg James on at breakfast, because then their figures would go up and then some of this problem would go away. Uh, but they're, you know, they're stuck with Grimmy. That was, <laughs> he was their big idea. Greg James is a brilliant broadcaster, I think. Do, do you agree talent. with me yeah, that the yeah, audience would go yeah. up and, and, and Evan, Chris Evans's would go down and, uh, you know, the, the BBC would solve two problems 
instantly. It would put Radio 1's figures up, which it was, and it would put Radio 2's figures down, which the BBC also kind of is happy He's about. He's also younger than Nick Grimshaw, isn't he? I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> you surprised me, Jake, as a, as a Greg James fan. I thought you'd be one of this uh, groundswell of new listeners that Radio 3's been attracting. <laughs> or, or does that not really make any sense either? I mean, what's that about? I know we shouldn't just question Radio every time we discuss Radio, but where have the new Radio 3 listeners uh, Oh, I think from? I know the answer to Go this. Go on. It's, it's not the proms. No, it's because they've stopped talking at breakfast. Oh, really? They've taken the news out. And so if you have had enough of Radio 4 or LBC or whatever, and you just want some nice classical music, ka-ching, there they are. Okay. I, I blame Brexit. People, people, <laughs> people want classical music. They want a distraction from people the just news. wanted to but calm not, the hell not down. Not classical music written by foreigners, surely. <laughs> uh, one more story to chat about in this section, and that is the cuts that have been made to Media Guardian. Uh, the paper, The Guardian, will now print just one page of media news a week, with the likely end of the media monkey column now that a, a certain reporter called John Plunkett has left the building. Jake, that one page, probably more like half a page once you've accounted for advertising, that's a big loss, isn't it? I know that print doesn't matter as much as what you do online, but Media Guardian had the most heritage out of all the national newspapers in reporting media, and it's sort of becoming completely irrelevant now. I'm really sad about this. There has been exceptional journalists there over the years, often covering media better than anyone. Uh, I mean, one of the examples, recent examples that springs to my mind is the memorable part they played in blowing open the Jimmy Savile scandal. And they were just a big part of bringing that story to the fore and holding to the holding the BBC to account. And for that to no longer be happening in quite such a comprehensive way is is disappointing. But, you know, they'll keep going. Jasper Jackson is still there uh, and he's very good and I'm sure he'll uh, continue to keep the uh, coverage up to a, a reasonably high standard. And the other thing is it does present opportunities for other people maybe business insider which is just <laughs> just uh, just started getting into to media so yeah. i mean long-term listeners of this podcast uh you remember that we sprung out of what was the media guardian podcast and back in the day of that show you know the guardian had to call on to present the show to just turn up into the studio and talk uh, you had Matt Wells, you had Emily Bell, you had Steve Hewlett, you had Gareth McLean. Uh, you had really great commentators, uh, you know, and that's before you even mentioned the people that were only in print, like Mark Lawson and Charlie Brooker, for goodness sake. That's just a golden era, isn't it? That kind of media commentary has gone. I think that's gone. I, I should miss it. But, you know, I was thinking, just driving here, that you know, I've been taking The Guardian for 25 years, delivered to my house. I mean, for read it for a lot longer than that. And increasingly, it doesn't get read. Apart from on a Saturday, it arrives, it sits there in the house, and then it gets put in the wicker basket and it gets taken out for recycling. And that's because we consume The Guardian on its website and via the iPad edition and all those things. So I think we find out about things. You know, you're just talking about radars. 10, 15 years ago, if you wanted analysis of Rajar, you went to the Media Guardian on a Monday. Mm. Nowadays, you get it a minute after midnight from Matt Deegan and Adam Bowie and, you know, all the great bloggers. I think, although we'll miss it because of nostalgia, we won't miss a lot of the information that we got. And a lot of that information will continue to be here, of course, on the Media Podcast, he says cheesily, and into commercial. <laughs> 
This episode of the Media Podcast is sponsored by Media Masters. It's a podcast featuring extended one-to-one interviews with key people in the industry, and it is always well worth a listen. I urge you to check out the Katie Hopkins episode. It is fascinating. But this week's show is no exception. Paul Blanchard is joined by science broadcaster Vivian Parry. Let's hear a taster. I came up with lots of teleformats, and I thought this is never going to happen. And then I decided... I had to make it happen. So I resigned my safe job of 15 years. Everybody said to me, Vivian, you're completely mad. You're a Muswell Hill housewife with two small children and you're the breadwinner. Stop it. You're crackers. You're crackers. And I answered this advert in The Guardian and it said television presenters wanted must have evidence of science communication skills. So I said that on any night of the week, I was to be found in twilight rest homes with the elderly talking about nuclear magnetic resonance. And they said, we'd like to see you, send us your showreel. And of course, I didn't have a showreel because I'd never done any TV. So I fibbed a bit and said that the broadcasters couldn't make it available in the time, which was true to the extent that they didn't have any footage, so they couldn't make it available in time. <laughs> it was technically true. Technically true. Vivian Parry there. You can hear the whole of Paul's interview for free on the Media Masters podcast. Just subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Right, let's cover the other stories doing the rounds this week. The French press have agreed to not reveal the names or photos of any more people involved in mass killings. Uh, Jake, what's the thinking here? Uh, well, they're thinking that if they don't name uh, some of the people involved and uh, have pictures of them, that it might prevent future attacks. And because I know, people don't see them as martyrs yes, and want to copycat. They're not anti-heroes. Um, and I uh, think that anything is worth trying to try and prevent these attacks repeating themselves. Uh, I know Roy uh, Greenslade has uh, been a bit critical of this and said that by not naming them and not having pictures, it can lead to rumours and speculation, which can breed fear. Uh, but I think it's worth giving a go. Why not? This, you know, it's, a, it's an experiment. Uh, something I'm always reminded of in these cases is uh, a really interesting thing on uh, Charlie Brooker's Newswipe a few years ago, uh, where he had a forensic psychiatrist cut together with uh, some news broadcasts uh, at the time about uh, a shooting at a German school. And the forensic psychiatrist is saying all these things in, ter- in terms of uh, what broadcasters shouldn't do, in terms of, you know, don't start the stories with sirens blaring, don't uh, make it 24-7 coverage. And it's cut together with the broadcasters doing the exact opposite. <laughs> and that's the problem, isn't it? It's the, it's the sense of there not being a middle ground. So, I mean, if, if people could just responsibly report the fact, you know, here's this guy, this is his history, and then he blew himself up and he killed some people. That's journalism. The problem is in the 24-hour news cycle that we have now, Trevor, it does become hysterical. And you can't really stop that unless you say, well, just don't report it at all. That's sort of a shame, isn't it? I think you're right. I think Jake is right, though, that we ought to try something. And uh, I don't agree with Roy Greenslade that by covering this up, you engender more fear. Because I think what we're talking about is exactly that hysterical side. You know, it's the big picture on the front page. You know, this man killed a lot of people. Uh, It's not, you know, stopping just printing his name and it's also the hysterical here's a man with a revolver running down a street let's watch that again and again and again and again you know on on your 24-hour news channels so I think something's got to be done I think they're probably um, making a noble effort 
I mean, it's, it, it's unlikely, isn't it, realistically, to spread across all areas of the media, so people are going to find that stuff somewhere if they want it. But I suppose if your face isn't splashed across the front of every tabloid, that might have an effect of, of stopping someone being inspired to, to be that guy. Uh, let's talk now about something Maggie Brown, friend of the show, has been writing in the stage about the plight of TV drama. Uh, just when you thought it was all looking rosy. Uh, Jake, uh, what's this about? To be honest, drama's going through an absolute boom at the moment, so I think it's uh, churlish to uh, be anything other than upbeat. I thought, how I thought, dare I thought, you come I, on the show and call Maggie Brown <laughs> churlish? Do you know who you're I talking think, about here? I, I know Maggie. She, you know, she's <laughs> she's a, a real champion of British drama, and I thought this piece was very even-handed. I don't think she was saying that uh, things are in trouble. I think what she was trying to express, perhaps, in some of the final paragraphs of her piece were that we're going to have a bit of a lull because uh, there's a bit of vacuum of power at the top of some of the broadcasters at the moment. You've got Polly Hill, who's just left the BBC, is not joining ITV until next month. Piers Wenger, head of drama at Channel 4, is moving to the BBC. That won't happen for a little while because of gardening leave. And then you've got Beth Willis, who's been promoted into Piers' role at Channel 4, but she's just gone on maternity leave. Uh, so head of comedy Phil Clark is now taking over drama. So you've got this sort of period where there's change, uh, and that will ultimately result in commissioning slowing down a little bit. But I don't think you'll notice anything on screen. I think that was well summarised. She was also, though, wasn't she, championing Versailles and saying what a great show it was. But under that, what she was saying was, if you want to get something like this away, then you need to do what they've done. I film something in France in English and sell it all around the world. You could see that as a depressing story, couldn't you, Trevor? You know, on the one hand, you're making drama on the scale of Netflix and Amazon. On, on the other hand... Is that what our broadcasters are for? Well, that is what they're for now, because it's what the audience is telling them they're for. You know, in the era of Netflix and, you know, high-definition television and big screens, unless a movie has the production values of a Hollywood movie, it looks cheap. You know, long gone are the days when you could do the Foresight Saga on, you know, in black and white on cardboard sets and expect people to watch that uh, on their telly and then go to the cinema and watch Ben-Hur. People want the same kind of quality. And so that's why it's being done. But this is all good news for my favourite channel, which I know you're going to want me to tell you about. Please do. Channel 343, Talking Pictures. That's the channel, everybody. That's where you see high quality, i.e. really poor quality, (laughs) B-movies made in the 1950s in black and white, where people say crikey a lot. And it's on all day long. 24-7 24-7 crap movies. You, honestly, you love it. It's an insight into Trevor Dan and his dotage. <laughs> the man the man they called the hatchet man. That's what he does now. Uh, OK, let's talk about another trend that's showing no sign of stopping, sadly, the decline of newspapers, although they did have that boost in circulation we talked about last time. Another new newspaper is coming to an end. This one was only five weeks old. You may remember I was quite optimistic about this one on the show. Uh, But the CN Group have called time on 24, which you'll recall was its paper for the north of England. Um, Now, no jobs are going to be lost because, actually, this was the whole point of it, was utilising the the buildings and the staff that they had and and using news wires. But it is the death of another newspaper title, even if it only been with us for a short period. Uh, Trevor, no surprises here. No surprises here. Imagine that I came to you... And I said, look, you know, you read the news on your smartphone and on your iPad and uh, you watch the telly now and again and you listen to the radio. I've got a great idea, though. I'm going to write it all down on a piece of paper and it's going to be 12 hours too late. Uh, would you <laughs> would you enjoy this new product I've invented? I think you'd, you'd say, get out of here. I think they're uh, whistling in the dark. 
After this and New Day, you'd have to be brave to experiment in, in launching a new paper, I think, wouldn't you? Well, except, as discussed last episode, there is the New European, uh, which, OK, is a stunty pop-up thing, but they have now decided to extend their limited run past five editions. You could say the secret is just not to oversell it. Don't do a big fanfare and say, hey, we've got a new newspaper, but just see if people actually want the product you're putting out there. It's for the forty-eight percent, as they say. On the I've cover. not seen it. Is it is it available readily? I've never read it, so I'm perhaps not brilliantly qualified to. to pass I did comment. look in the newsagent in Baldock, uh-huh. North Hertfordshire, but uh, no sign of the New European. Oh, really? There. My in-laws live in Baldock, and they're very much New European readers. If it was available. Well, Maybe it's sold out. <laughs> That's you a never point, know. Yeah. You never know. Probably not. Uh, <laughs> one last note on this. Uh, Johnson Press wrote down 40% off the value of its local paper business on Thursday. Um, now, that is after, of course, they bought the eye recently. Do you think that's still looking like a good move, Jake, that they did that? The eye? I mean, they're, they're, the eye, they're publishing um, pretty upbeat figures about, and I think it's probably too early to say whether that's been a uh, an intelligent acquisition or not. Um, but the, the the best thing I read about local news this week was uh, uh, this blog by Gareth Davis, who used to work on the... The Croydon uh, Advertiser. Uh, Croydon, Croydon Advertiser. It's yeah. a sort of forensic takedown of uh, the paper and how what it's become under Trinity Mirror. Uh, and it's really, really worth reading if you want an insight into the way local news is changing. I mean, basically, he said, since Trinity Mirror have taken over, they've made us put the web first only write stories that work online and then we'll print them. And then he had a screen grab, didn't he, of a double-page spread, one which was something like nine things you'd only understand if you lived in Croydon, and the other one was 11 things you'd only understand if dot, dot, dot. And it clearly was their attempt to do a BuzzFeed rip-off, but on print looks utterly absurd. It will hurt your eyes yeah. if you look at it. <laughs> Trinity Mirror, though, have said, well, actually... They've, they've defended it pretty robustly, I would say. Yeah, they've they're... said our staff are all really happy and he's <laughs> just bitter and the paper's doing really well. They, they made these sort of very, I mean, reasonably underhanded comments about his... Um, I mean, they didn't reference him directly, but they suggested that he didn't have the appetite to carry on in the newsroom, uh, which was a little underhanded, I think. But, uh, I, you know, the overall tone of their statement was things are not as bad as uh, Gareth is making out. But he did point out that there is, and he showed a screen grab again of a bit of his contract that said you should be writing articles that get, I think it was at least a thousand page views, wasn't it? And so he was saying, essentially, if you're not interested in that market, if you just want to expose the stories that are important to local people, you have no place in a local newsroom anymore. Is that just how things are now? There's a story just today about the Telegraph, I don't know whether you saw it, saying that their most clicked on story in this era of lots and lots of news was a story saying something about doomsday. And, you know, it was a classic clickbait story you know it, it it had it didn't have sex or naked in it but it did have doomsday and the end of the world and um 12 cats you'll only see if doomsday has started <laughs> all that stuff you know <laughs> so if, if that's what the public want ollie that's what they're gonna demand is it as good as talking pictures that's the big Not as, nothing is as good as talking pictures <laughs> Char- charters and caldicott are on every hour <laughs> small details are big surfaces Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. 
only from Rustolium. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Right, there is just time for our media quiz. This week entitled Hole in the Wall. Uh, It's an homage to the much-loved really, uh, BBC game show that ran all the way from 2008 to 2009. Uh, this is the one where uh, celebrities wore very tight lycra clothes and, and played Tetris uh, on giant walls. Uh, well, there have been lots of walls and enclosures discussed in the media this week. Your job is to match the media personality or company to the wall-related story. Uh, best of three, buzz in with your name. So, Jake, you will say... Jake. And Trevor, you will say... Jake. No, 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 I'll say Trump. <laughs> the oldies are the goodies. Uh, the winner gets Dale Winton, the loser, Anton Debeck. Uh, here is question number one. The Times newspaper. What wall-related story Trevor, happened to them this week? They've Trevor. Uh, uh, partly abandoned their paywall on uh, the Times online. Correct. So there's a gap in the wall like Pyramus and Thisbe. Uh, you can view, do you know how many stories it is per week? Two. It is, yes. Very good. Bonus point. Uh, as long as you register, uh, you can now view two articles a week uh, on the Times you, Online. What happens if you clear your cash? Uh, Jake, I hope you're not <laughs> suggesting people should in any way clear deceive their, their way around <laughs> reading more articles on the Times website. Um, are you a subscriber, by the way? Uh, through Business Insider, right, I am, yeah. yes. See, I am too. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought I needed that in my life. But actually, it's working, I guess, isn't it? People who really want to read it are paying for it. I mean, we we access it every day. It's you know, it's a, it's still got content that you want to read and sets the agenda. Question number two, Jake, it's all to play for here now. <laughs> I'm going to try and concentrate. I've got, I've got a mountain to climb. Is it red sauce? <laughs> is it brown sauce? Or is it no sauce at all? James Whale, name that Jake. wall, Jake. Big Brother? Correct. Celebrity Big Brother. Celebrity Big Brother. I'll give you the point. Uh, Yes, the radio firebrand shock jock, as they called him when he went in the show. I mean, he's on BBC Essex. BBC Essex. How shocking can you get? (laughs) Former shock jock James Whale is between the walled enclosure of the Celebrity Big Brother house. Have you been watching it, chaps? No. No, Trevor, have (laughs) you? No, boycotted that. I have. I have. Oh, Ollie. He's up for eviction tonight. I think he will survive uh, because people are voting for their favourites. I think if people were voting for their least favourite, the Big Brother audience would boot out James Whale, but they're booting for their favourites, and I think he, he'll have more fans than the person he's up against who has very few. Hasn't he got a bit of a cult following, James? 
well, we're doing a whole show about James Wales' appeal now. This is a level uh, of analysis has. that you expect from the BBC's coverage of the Olympics. <laughs> he has, but it's basically this white van man, isn't it? It's who used to listen to talk radio back in the day and then LBC when he did drive. And are they the same people watching Celebrity Big Brother on Channel 5? I suspect Possibly not. not. Although, ha- having said that, yeah. the Daily Star seems to have forgotten that uh, Richard Desmond no longer owns Channel 5. Yeah, and they, they and seem to like it anyway. Celeb Big Brother on the cover every single day. Yeah, no, absolutely. Good point. And actually, Jim Davidson did win, didn't he? So, you know, James Well, not a million miles away, is it, demographically? Yeah, who knows? Uh, OK, right. Well, it is all to play for if we discount the extra point that I gave to Trevor. Let's pretend it's one all. Here's question number three. BBC iPlayer. Jake. Jake. So, iPlayer will no longer be completely free. Correct. From September. Yes. Why? It's quite dull, <laughs> but the the short answer on this stuff. The short, what do you mean? The short, the short answer <laughs> is uh, people are exploiting a loophole in the license fee, which means that they can watch catch up content on iPlayer for free uh, without a license fee. I that will no longer exploiting a loophole. I mean, no effort is made to make you pay for iPlayer. That's why it's not exploiting. That will no a longer be the case. Using iPlayer. Okay, so what happens in the future? You log on to iPlayer and it says, "Do you have a TV license?" Or are they just relying on your good nature to that, say m- that might happen in time. Yeah. Uh, for now, though. Uh, they'll have to make do with some of the more traditional uh, monitoring methods of TV licensing. So they'll be able to use their detector vans to see if you're watching uh, the BBC through iPlayer. Mm. So uh, there is another answer to this question. Yes, go on. Today, Mm -hmm. the BBC iPlayer radio app is now available worldwide. Is that right? So as from today, you can listen to all BBC radio, even though it's made for the domestic market anywhere in the world. Can you download the shows, though? I bet you can't. I was in France and tried downloading something on the iPlayer radio app and it wouldn't let me. But it might do t- from today. Might do from Something's today. changed today. So my digital review system says that, that should be, those points should be shared. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll rage our count that. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. That, that would be a digital way of actually measuring audience. That would be insane. Uh, well, Trevor, despite the fact you came in with two news stories today, you still lost the quiz. How do you feel? I'm gutted. But at <laughs> least, it a draw? I thought, I thought you got two points. At least I got to look round the... Um, wonderful um, BBC Three Counties radio studios. We all got a day out in Dunstable. Uh, If the hospital club are listening do open a branch here. There's at least three of us that are interested. Uh, (laughs) Otherwise we have to settle for the Weatherspoons. That is our show for today. Thank you Trevor Dan. Thank you Jake Cantor. Uh, And did you know that some people are playing each new episode of this show through our website? Folks, that is so 2004. If you subscribe you can get this show every fortnight as soon as it's released. You can do that via the podcast app on your iPhone or Pocket Casts and now Google Play. And subscribing means you never miss an episode so for goodness sake go and do that now and as you're now up to date with us why not get inspired by listening to the latest episode of media masters vivian parry this week well worth a listen my producer is matt hill the media podcast is a ppm production and until next time bye-bye even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.